Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. I've always tried to avoid hiring friends, although I have made some exceptions. And most people advise against going into business with a friend. But my guests today, Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw, ignored that advice. And together, they've created one of the country's leading fitness apps that supported over 250,000 members since launch. They also have a chart-topping podcast and a combined Instagram following of over 2 million people. And get this, they did it all before they were 30. So how do they make it work? Welcome, Steph and Laura, to the Future Women Leadership Series. Oh, thank you so much for having us. I want to start today at the beginning. Tell me, how did you come to co-lead a brand? Yeah, it's a, it, I keep getting the Facebook memories because it was actually around this time about seven years ago that uh, the brand was in its infancy. But Laura and I met through the modelling industry and we had a lot of com- in common, um, including some of our own personal struggles with eating and, and dieting. And so we we both noticed that there was this gap in the market on social media, particularly with dieting and everything, it all seemed like quick fixes and fad diets. And we kind of wanted to fill the gap and take away the focus from, you know, calorie counting and exercising as punishment and kind of focus more on having the nutrients to make you feel good and exercise because it makes you feel good and gives you the energy. And we both bonded on that. So we started with an ebook, and from there, the ebook kind of turned into much more than that. But when it was an ebook. It was certainly not a business plan. It was more so a project, a passion project that both of us were really excited to work on together. And we just had no idea what we were in for, really. It's beyond our dreams what Kick has become. And, but that's where it, where it began about seven years ago, yeah. I'm sure many people said things to you like, that will never work, it never does. You can't put that much pressure on your friendship. When they were saying that to you at the time, I'm, I'm sure they said that to you, so correct me if I'm wrong, what, what, what went through your head? Yeah, well, I mean, they absolutely did. I think mm. the first thing, I can't remember who it was that said it to us, but they said, you need to have a shareholders agreement because if you don't have one, everything will be a disaster. And so we did <laughs> one. But I don't think, Steph, actually, we ever looked at it since we did it. I mean, it's been redone now because now we have an actual <laughs> company, so we, we needed to have a proper one. But back when we first started, um, we weren't registered as, as a company. It was registered as, as a partnership. So, yeah, we had that agreement and people said, you need to have this and, you, you know, it, 
friendship and business don't work and all of all of those things that, that I'm sure anyone that started a business with a friend has heard. But for us, I think it's been our superpower in what we've been able to make kick become. And I think the thing for us is that a lot of people didn't take what we were doing seriously. And to be completely honest, I don't think in the first kind of year or so we knew what it was going to become, as, as Steph said. So I think it took until about 2018 when we kind of were, we thought, you know, this is, we're running a real, a serious business now. And I think for us, we, when I say serious business, it's that we had a team member that we employed. It's funny. That's, that's for me the (laughs) the moment. Um, But it wasn't until then when people really started to, I suppose, take what we were doing seriously. So by that stage, we were already in working together and we'd worked together for um, three years and it worked really, really well. And I think for us, it's the respect that, that we have for each other our friendship comes first. That's really, really important to us. And we just, it's now become, it's such an important part of Kick and what we do. Um, it's something that we invest in, um, you know, time together. Um, and also it's just, I did, it just comes back to, again, that respect for each other and um, believing in the vision. And we've had the same vision yeah. the whole time. So that has helped a lot. I'm really interested to unpick that a little bit because I think um, many women listening to this episode will admire what you've done. But um, this is about leadership and quite often, whether it's starting a business together or working in a team or working in an executive team, the relationships are put under extreme pressure. And how you make that work, I think, is really interesting to fully understand. So do you have different parts of the job that you do? So you separate responsibilities or do you come together on everything? Totally understand how how it doesn't really work for everyone. You know, even going into business when it did become more serious, as Laura was saying, I suppose I did have a moment where I stepped back because I know of other friends who had gone into business with their friends and it hadn't worked out for the better. So it was something that came to mind. But I think, as Laura put, we've always put our friendship and, you know, our love and respect for each other first above all else. And with our style of working together, that's kind of grown as a partnership, as we have ind- individually as well. So when we started out and we were obviously a lot smaller of a team, it was just the two of us, we obviously worked on everything uh, and shared the load with everything. And what we started to see over time was that we did have different skill sets and not just stuff that, you know, one of us might have been a little bit more equipped to do, but also preferred doing. You know, I, I naturally lean towards the more visual, creative side of things, whereas Laws loves the operational kind of background contracts and uh, and all that sort of stuff. And now obviously in her CEO role is absolutely killing it. And there's so much of her role that scares the living daylights out of me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see myself ever doing, but I know that there's parts of my role where she would equally not feel very comfortable doing. So over the years, we've found kind of our feet and our roles in the positions, particularly with the team that we have now. One thing that I see different in our friendship versus other women that I know of, you know, tall poppy syndrome is a huge thing in Australia, particularly. Um, And unfortunately, it's super common, particularly when you are in those kind of leadership positions, that that competitive nature does kind of show up. And that's not to say that it's never shown up for either of us. There has been times where I've absolutely compared myself and my skill sets to laws, but I then come back to, you know, why am I doing that? It's never because of something she has done or anything to me. It's never in a malicious kind of way. It's it's more so because I'm just trying to focus on bettering myself. And, and it always comes back to understanding our skill sets are different. And she's my biggest cheerleader. I try to be her biggest cheerleader. And anytime that I have been feeling like I'm stuck in this comparison trap or I'm feeling down about, you know, maybe my performance at any point, 
what I've found has helped has been open communication. And that's something that we've learned over the years. Anytime that I've been kind of beating myself up about something, I'll then just voice it to her and we'll work it out almost instantly. It might have even been something that I was just making up in my own head. So my biggest thing, I think, that I would say on top of just having, you know, love and respect for each other in a working relationship when you're both in leadership positions is also just having super open communication, being really open with one another when things are too much or too little or that you need help or you need help even just managing or running through in your mind. I'm so grateful to have, you know, my best friend as my business partner because it means that I can work through my issues on, you know, that emotional level as well. Laura, it's, it is a really complex relationship in many ways. Um, I'm interested to hear from your perspective, how do you feel when you might be angry, disappointed, threatened, uh, feeling inadequate? What do you do in those circumstances? Do you go to Steph and go, okay, this is how I feel? Or do you just work it through personally? What I think is really important is to, I suppose, learn to pick your battles. And that's mm. not to say that, you know, I <laughs> Steph and I have battles all the time. But I think it, it's just really important to be able to work through things internally first. And so if something were to happen where I might feel like a decision was made and I didn't agree with it, I, I, t- I go away first and I work through, okay, why do I feel this way? Is it because I wasn't taking on the journey or was it, is it because of, you know, something else or someone else that was a part of it? Um, and I'll work through that before I'll then have, you know, a conversation conversation. It might not be with Steph, it might be someone else in our team. Um, And I find that really, really helps to have that kind of awareness first. And then the other thing that I think has really helped me is I'm a very big um, Brene Brown fan and she has um, an amazing framework called Braving. And it's all about having difficult conversations. And I think in leadership, it is probably the hardest thing for me is having difficult conversations. It's the the one thing that I definitely didn't learn through my university studies. And I, I mean, I didn't learn it at school either. And it's something that, I mean, a lot of people and a lot of leaders I've worked with, I find aren't actually able to have them and and they're really, really senior. So it's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. But a part of this framework that I highly recommend looking at and reading and um, listening to Brene speak about, the last part of it, G, um, is generosity. And when she says generosity, she means that always giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's really, really important when navigating, um, you know, anything in, in business, if it's with the executive team, with your partner, I think so often we make situations up in our head. Something might have happened um, and we might think, okay, well, this is because they did this and they did this because, you know, they were trying to work against something and we're not aligned. And we go to that straight away. And then I think when we then go to approach the conflict or the conversation, we are very, very narrow-minded and then we're never able to, then you're not good at listening, obviously, because you're just focusing on, you know, what you've made up in your head. So that for me, when I heard that, I listened to it recently and the G being generous and always giving someone the benefit of the doubt um, and approaching every difficult conversation with that and being really open with them. You know, you you can even say this is where, well, for me, I might say this is where my head's gone, but I want to know where you, where you're coming from, because obviously I'm not in your shoes. So I don't understand exactly how you have um, kind of navigated this situation. And I found that helps very, very much. That is just so interesting and so impressive um, to hear you both, how you tackle this relationship. What happens when you bring someone new into the mix? So you're really tight, you can finish each other's sentences, you're best friends, you've built this business together. Uh, as the business grows, have you discussed what happens when, you know, you you bring somebody else into your 
into your orbit and into your inner sanctum. Yeah, I mean, it was never, it, it's not that we discussed, you know, how we were going to kind of go about that from an emotional or relationship kind of point of view. But both Laura and I really love learning from others. Um, and we know that, you know, our experience in business is in its infancy and we're so excited to continue to grow in that space. And so when we bring someone else on, you know, we're bringing someone on because there might be a skill set or experience that that we're lacking and that, that we're keen to learn about and that we're keen to have someone on to specialise in that role. So it's not like we're bringing someone else on that like suddenly we all need to, you know, be aligned and agree on everything. We're really keen to be challenged when we bring other people into the leadership role. And that's the other thing with being so close and being two best friends running a business together is often like we have the same brain. We have the same, like, we, we'll say yes to the same things and we'll like the same things. And so it's it's nice to kind of grow that le- leadership team and have other opinions to challenge us. And often the, those opinions have, have really made us think outside of the box. And we've always really appreciated, you know, learning from those people. So we haven't really found, you know, an, an, an issue with with managing that because it's it's really been from a really respectful kind of professional level, we've been really enjoying the process of, of growing that leadership team. And I think too, our, as we've defined our roles, I would say probably working with Steph and I maybe three or four years ago would have been harder than, than <laughs> yeah. it is now. I think we realised as our team started to grow that we needed to be more clear for our team's sake mm. on what our roles were in the business and what parts of the business that we both own. And so since we've defined those kind of in the past 24 months, I would say, we've become really, really clear on that. And for that reason, we don't often, we have a, um, a board meeting every single month where, you know, we're all together and, and Steph and I do communicate a lot, but I, we actually probably within the business day-to-day communicate more with the people that work on the same projects as us as opposed to each other. So I think that really, really helps it as well. How big's your team now? We have... There's 17 of us, um, including Steph and I, which is super exciting, crazy uh, (laughs) and managing people. I mean, it's probably the hardest, the hardest part of leadership. So um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but we're just, I mean, I walk into the office and I know Steph's the same and I look around and to see, you know, all of these other incredible individuals who are passionate about the same thing that we are um, and are aligned to the vision that, that we have for Kick and what we can achieve together. It's it's just, it's amazing. It's beyond, as Steph said, Kick has, has truly become something that even if for myself, when I was, I've always been super ambitious, even when I was 18 and, and I was very, very ambitious. Like at one stage in my um, high school years, I wanted to be the prime minister. Um, so <laughs> You can do it. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, I, don't, I don't think that's that's going to be in my future. But um, even so, even though my mind did think like that, to run a, a company and, and to be a part of something like Kick um, and what it has become is not something that, you know, we ever planned for or imagined. So it's pretty special. And so it's important that we take time to, you know, step back and um, really appreciate that too. Oh, and congratulations. I mean, to be able to, Thank you. out of your own, um, I guess, hard work and uh, imagination, develop a business that pays the salaries of 17 people is um, is a considerable achievement. Which brings me to the next subtopic that I wanted to um, raise with you. You had so young, the two of you. Tell me a bit about being a young leader and what challenges you've had along the way. Oh, it's, for me, my age is the biggest barrier to what I believe that I can achieve. And I think even with Kik, what, you know, what we can achieve 
it's funny because I speak about being very ambitious when when I was 18 and I still absolutely am. But I, I feel like the more successful we have become, the more, um, you know, you kind of feel like an imposter and the imposter syndrome, um, well, for me, has showed up in my life because I think as Kick has grown and, you know, now becoming the CEO of Kick and then, for, you know, for Steph and I leading a team of, of the size that we have, I had always thought a leader of a team of our size and a business of our size, you know, looked a certain way and was a certain age and had a certain amount of experience, which is not the experience that that I have. And it's funny, I was recently nominated for an award and um, for leadership. And when I got the nomination, the same thing, I have the same thought process every time. This is lovely. Someone maybe from our team nominated me because, you know, they were trying to be really nice and I probably don't have any chance of getting it because I am only, I'm turning 30 this year, so I'm only 29 and people just laugh to think that, you know, I could be an experienced leader. And then I looked at this particular award and it was for people that are 30 and below. So then I had to kind of be really honest with myself and think, hang on, this barrier that I've always put in front of myself as to why I can't achieve things, it actually doesn't exist in this particular nomination. And I had to step back and then really think about and question why I feel that way. And while we are really young, I think it's so important, especially as women, I feel like we always need to, we feel like we have to prove ourselves a thousand times over before, um, you know, we're worthy of success. And and I don't think that's something that, um, you know, a lot of our male counterparts that we've worked with feel. And so I am really conscious of that. And I try as, as much as I can to, you know, remind myself that, you know, we have work to get to where we, we are and we do know what we're doing. But I think that for me is, as being a young leader, the hardest thing is is battling that imposter syndrome. Um, and it's okay. It's something that I know I'm probably always going to live with, but it's just important for me that it, it doesn't stop us from achieving what we are capable of. Steph, if you look through history, some of the great achievements are often made by people who are under 30. There's absolutely nothing stopping 20-year-olds achieving in, in reality, how do you manage uh, those expectations and what leadership challenges have you experienced? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's it's something to do, for me anyway, in my 20s, I've learned so much about myself and I feel like the older I'm getting, the, the more I'm kind of understanding who I am and who I want to be and what I want to do. But that ambition is just growing and growing and maybe that is a common common thread through through the 20s and 30s but I think that that helps with the drive to to succeed and to do things I mean even with myself there is so much I want to do with kick and and in business and then there's also so much that I want to do outside of that as well you know I'm I'm a new mum and that so much of that excites me as well and it's funny when we talk about feeling young I was even having a conversation the other day with someone and they were saying that they feel so weird about using the word husband about their new husband and how it makes them feel really old and then I was like yeah I actually feel the same way and yet I don't feel that when I say mother um, which I don't really understand. And then when I put it to a business sense, there's days where I feel like 22. Like I feel super, super young. And I think it is because I've just kept this really kind of energetic, hungry enthusiasm through work. And I suppose my way of leading, um, as I touched on earlier, because I'm so keen to learn, you know, everyone in our team um, regardless of their age, because we've got people ranging from, you know, 20 to 45. And regardless of their age, I learn from them every single day. And I've got a really collaborative 
role, I suppose, um, as a leader in, in our team. And I love that because it means that, you know, even the juniors um, in our team are teaching me things every single day. And, and I love that. So I kind of want to make sure that I still feel that youth-like energy, you know, over the years. I, I, I'm, I do understand that there is definitely a barrier when it comes to our age and in being in a leadership. I totally understand. And I'm, I'm nodding along to everything Laura just said with that. But at the same time, I also think it's a positive in ways. I think it's, it's only giving me that fire in my belly to prove myself more and, and try harder. And yeah, that excites me. What sort of leaders are you both? Always learning. Still, yeah. still, I suppose, not 100% sure of what... And I, I don't know if, if we ever get to an age where we're, yeah. we're 100% sure of, of, you know, what type of leader we are. But I think for me right now, I lead, I really try to make sure I lead with transparency um, and honesty and also with empathy. Mm-hmm. I think that is leading with empathy is, is the most important thing for me in everything that I do. And especially for our team, making every single one of them feel valued. And then also understand that every single person is different. Everyone communicates differently. They hear things differently. They're motivated by different things. And I think especially with women, women that I've worked under and with lead with more empathy than I've experienced males leading with. There are some great male, we actually have a fantastic um, male leader in our business who leads with empathy and, and he's absolutely fantastic. But in my experience over the past, you know, in my small amount of experience um, over the past, you know, seven years, I found that um, it's something that women lead with more so than men. And what I've found as being someone who has been led by a male before when you feel like someone doesn't want to understand you or want to understand that you're human and are going through certain things and and are not really listening to you and are kind of just spending time with you to tick a box and you start to feel undervalued, it's the worst feeling in the whole world as a member of a team and it's really hard to ever be motivated when when you're in that environment when you don't feel valued. And so for for me with my leadership, it is so important that every single person in our team feels valued. It doesn't matter what their role is. And at Kick as well, we have quite a flat structure. Mm. We have people that report into others and, you know, because obviously we can always learn by, by reporting in um, to people and we have lots of senior people in the team. But what's really, really important that every single person knows that if we're in a room in a meeting in a brainstorm, if you have a junior role or if you have a senior role, your idea and your contribution is important yeah. and it will be heard as, as much as, as, you know, the other person. Yeah, absolutely. What type of leader are you, Steph? Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, no, I mean, I think I th- feel like our styles, there's a lot of similarities, but I, yeah, I would say that I lead with empathy as well. And as I touched on earlier, definitely a collaborative leader. Uh, I really love working with everyone and, and helping anyone out um, with anything that I can um, and also really encouraging. But I think one of the the main things that I try and make sure that I'm always kind of on point with is one of our values, which is owning it. So I'm human and, you know, I might be a leader in our team, but I've always found it really important, you know, if I've made what I might perceive as a mistake or slipped up somewhere that I own it and lead by example in that because, you know, we're all human and we really try and encourage our team to not be scared to make mistakes. You know, these things happen, but we can learn. Let's let's pick up and learn from it. The, your answers are really common. That's exactly how most women want to lead, whether they're 20 or whether they're 60 or 70. And I just 
don't hear that or see it from male leaders mm. at all. Like it's a fundamental difference in the way men and women think about leadership uh, and the sort of leader they want to be. If we cast ahead to your 40s or 50s, are you still working together? Is this still a partnership? Or have you sold kick, you're multimillionaires, you've both <laughs> got your Atlassian-style homes on the <laughs> on the water, um, and you're sort of boating over to each other's houses on weekends for lunch? What is it? What is <laughs> I it? I love that. Love that. Can you imagine <laughs> us boating to <laughs> each other's houses? I don't know about that. <laughs> I think for us with, with Keep It Cleaner, in the next three to five years, especially in the industry that we're working in now, the fitness subscription space, there are a lot of a lot of players in this space. There's, there's a lot of fitness apps, a lot of subscription health um, programs available. Uh, and I, I think over the next five years, we, we predict that the industry is really going to mature because it is quite new. So we've got some really, really big plans over the next five years to make sure in that time that kick becomes um, a key player um, and holds where we believe that we can. And then, uh, you know, to get there, I think it's something that we'll need three to five years. And then from there, I mean, we definitely probably don't see ourselves still filming workouts when we're 80. <laughs> um, that's something that, that we've discussed um, as well. And, and I do think that, I mean, Steph and I, and this is something that this year we had a really honest conversation about. And we, we had a, um, her name is Gabrielle Famous and she's an amazing businesswoman and she's joined our advisory board this year and she's actually enabled Steph and I to have some really good conversations that I, I don't know if we would have would have had them mm. or as felt as comfortable having them without her. Um, I think we, we do have different ambitions in, in what we want to do. I mean, that's right now. You never know. It changes <laughs> so much. But I think for me, success is that I'm learning and growing every single day. So when I look into my future, that that's what I really want to be doing and, and always be challenged. Yeah. And uh, if we're not working together, we'll still be joint at the hip some, <laughs> somehow. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, for me, I am so passionate right now to hit the ground running with everything that we're doing at Kick and coming back from having a bit of leave after after having Harvey, my baby. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. It's been quite overwhelming to say the least to, you know, kind of pick back up a lot of responsibility and own some things at the same time as reminding myself of everything that works, all the systems and everything that we use and remembering how to read data and analytics and everything. You know, my my brain is, is it works differently now and I've <laughs> accepted that and I'm working with it. But I definitely am really, really hungry for, you know, the next few years and, and super passionate about everything that we're doing. And Kik was my first baby. So I am eager to to see it through and, and really excited for what's to come. As for what's after Kik, if there is an ending to Kik, I, I couldn't tell you, but I do really, really have a huge passion as well to kind of get to that point where I can have a lot more family time and, you know, have that aspect of my life maybe maybe take over for a while. Definitely not forever because, you know, work for me is a, is a huge part of who I am and I've always been really keen to work and, and get my hands dirty and, and be super busy. So, you know, even when I was in my part-time maternity leave, I felt like I wasn't doing enough or I wanted to do more. So I can only imagine that if I, you know, say five or six years in, in the future, had a couple of years off, I'd be pretty keen to get back doing something else. So what that is, I don't know. <laughs> we will see. I, I want to go back to coming at this from a, a modelling perspective. And I'm wondering what you've seen in your 
lifetime that's changed dramatically around uh, how women are perceived and we talk about, I guess, the fashion and modelling and beauty industry and what is good and what's bad? Oh, good good yeah. question. I think, I mean, coming from it, from the health, I mean, the industry that we work in with mm. Kik, the, the health industry, I think if we you look at the way that it's, it has changed and evolved a lot and it's really evolved um, into wellness, which there is still, uh, you know, the, the really, really fitnessy stuff. But back when we first started Kick, one of the reasons that we started, as, as Steph said, is because we just wanted to offer something that was not super kind of focused on numbers and minutes worked out and it was a more holistic health offering. And I think that's that's the way that the health industry is going, which is which is fantastic. And there is still such a long way to go with the way that we, and even with wellness, there's some quite toxic elements of wellness where, you know, really fad dieting and, and really toxic messaging can be kind of packaged up in a wellness present with a bow. <laughs> with a bow um, and it can it can seem like it's it's positive, but but it probably really isn't. And and so I think for women there's still this and especially with health, there's there's definitely still a huge focus on dieting and, and the way that our bodies look um, and that that is our value. But I, I would say definitely and with, with the work that you know we do with our kit community and in speaking to them, so many of our community members that have come off programs or apps or whatever it might be where they felt like, you know, they had to lose a certain amount of weight to be worthy of, of things in their life. And it's not even just of, you know, what brands they can wear. It's it's in their careers as well. It's so, it's so sad how much that as women we're told that the way and made to believe that the way that we look um, is is has anything to do with how successful that we can be and what we're worth. Um, and so I think there is still a very, very long way to go, but I think we are definitely making progress. And especially with what we've done with Kik, we don't use before and after photos. We, we don't speak about, you know, transforming your body or losing a certain amount of weight on the program, which definitely from a paid acquisition perspective makes it harder for us because if you tell someone they're going to lose five kilos if they pay $20 a month, I'm sure they're probably going to click on that. But we, we don't use that messaging and that's really, really important to us because health is not about, you know, the way that our body looks or the number on the scales. It's it's so much more than that. Um, but what we've done with Kick by staying true to who we are and what we do, having that integrity the entire time to what we believe in, we've managed to have incredible success. And I think I'm, I'm, we're just, mm. you know, I'm so proud of what we've done and that our team has stayed true to that the entire time. And it shows that it does, there are, there are people out there that are looking, you know, for that type of solution. However, there's still, you know, especially for, for women, there's, there's such a long way to go in how we, we feel in our value in our bodies. What about the pressure on you two, though? So, you are the brand ambassadors in the face and therefore you're photographed all the time. You're, you know, permanently key to the success of the brand. How do you psychologically manage all of that? In the one sense, for the business to be successful, you have to look and breathe the brand. In the other, you're so busy. Mm-hmm. You, you might not want to really look fabulous every time you're in front of a camera. And I come at this from, I guess, 20-odd years of watching this debate um, it started around photoshopping. And I'm just wondering how you are managing that yourselves personally and psychologically. Yeah, I mean, massive props to our kid community because for Laura and I, the moment that we started not caring so much about, you know, the way we appeared and spoke more openly and honestly about, you know, the struggles that we might have been going through or 
just wearing less makeup, not worrying about a super flattering angle, like all the little things that kind of add up. Our community has been incredibly supportive and, you know, not once made us feel like that wasn't okay and almost instantly celebrated us for it. And for us, that was really great because it did release a lot of this like internal pressure that we put on ourselves to try and always look or be a certain way. And so I think that, you know, supportive, encouraging community has a huge amount to do with that, to do with our confidence now to kind of just go with the flow and be who we are and and not worry about being too presentable all the time. But I think in, in saying that, that's not to say that we don't have those days where we might question ourselves or judge ourselves or feel like we need to, I don't know, get doled up or feel a certain way. That, that's not to say that we don't still have those kind of issues. And I think that just comes back to, unfortunately, as Laura mentioned, there's still a really long way to go to get rid of those kind of looks of ideal or whatever that society pushes on us. And I even coming from a point of view from myself coming out of being pregnant and then getting back on the cameras, you know, only a month or so after I got back into being active. I mean, my body didn't change maybe as much as some other women's bodies changed over pregnancy, you know, compared to their body prior, but it still did. And, you know, I'm, I'm only normal. Everybody in this entire world has insecurities, but it was because of the community and, you know, living by example of, of trying to push through that and work through your insecurities and grow your confidence in other areas so that your physical appearance didn't matter so much. It was because of that message and I suppose leading by example that I was able to kind of get through that and that I am able to pull myself out of that space every day. I don't know. What about you, Laws? Yeah, I think for me, it's funny on, on reflecting back seven years ago when we met, which was through modelling. I, I mean, my my full value was based on the way that I looked mm. because that was a big part of my job at the time. Now, and I mean, I've even seen it coming up through in university and then in the workplace and especially in, so my background, I was going to be a lawyer before, well, it, I still finished it, but I was gonna say, you <laughs> I'm not going to be a lawyer, but um, I, that was what I was studying. And what I had found was there was a few moments where it was in, when I was in a modeling scenario and I'd met someone like behind at the show or, and it was, it was a man often, well, every time it was a man on the few occasions that it happened. And they'd said to me, when you're finished your degree, like, please make sure you come, like, we'd love to have you at our firm, et cetera. And so I think for me in that moment, I thought, okay, so you don't care about what comes out of my mouth because I haven't spoken to you about, you know, what I can do with my brain. You've just seen the way that I look. And so I feel like I have almost got an opposite. And I think also it's really important to acknowledge that Steph and I live yeah. in very we live in bodies that are size eight to 10. Um, we're white women. We are conventionally attractive, which is why we were accepted into the modeling industry. And so it's really, really important to acknowledge that because I think it, it's meant that we have been given opportunities that we might not have if we didn't live in the bodies that, that we do have. But I think for me, it's it's in that moment when I, you know, speaking to that man behind the, the stage of the show, I just thought to myself, God, I do not want the reason that I am successful to be based on the way that I look. I mm. want to show what I can do. And so with my brain, and I think because of that, I've always had this thing, like I feel like I have to prove something. And so I 
personally don't worry too much about the way that my body looks. But again, in saying that, it's, I do live in a very like naturally genetically fit looking body. Um, and so I, it's funny, I don't feel that pressure at all to, you know, present a certain way. And, um, and especially before a kick shoot, yeah. like we'd never feel like, oh, we haven't done enough workouts to look muscly because, you know, I, I, as I said, our community don't really, don't really care. But I have, I do feel like I have this mission that I need to, and I, I, I think eventually I'll be able to let it go, but I still feel like I have to prove something because I don't want people just to think that, you know, we've achieved things because of the way that, that we look, because there's so much more to us. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that having a modelling background presents a whole range of other challenges in in many ways for young women. So it's not, it's not all what it's cracked up to be, I'm certain. Um, I feel, however, that there is a shift that brands like yours and and the experiences that you've had is becoming more commonplace, that it is becoming okay to not have the perfect size, colour, shape, background. Are you heartened by what you see and that we are getting somewhere in society where this permanent pressure on women of all ages and stages to look beautiful is starting to ease? Yeah, definitely heartened by what's happened, but totally aware that there's still a super long way to go. I think, you know, it's for us, it's been really great um, if we're speaking directly to the modeling industry to see more diversity in everything and every aspect and making people feel seen when they see someone on an advert or on a billboard or in a magazine. Um, you know, I hope that that only continues to diversify and continues to to go in the right direction. But even in the, yeah, short year, 10 years that I've been in the industry, it has changed a lot, like mm-hmm. a lot. Even in probably five years, it's changed a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the, we are, we, there's still a long way to go, but I, I do agree we have come quite a long way um, over the past 10 years. And it's just, it's so great to see that, you know, so many marginalised communities and they're absolutely not represented to, to the way that they need to be. There's, there's still a long way to go, but to know that there, there are kids at home that can sit and they can see themselves on the TV or on the phone or whatever it might be and they would never have seen themselves, you know, if it was 20 years ago before. Because I think sometimes we need to see ourselves to believe that we can get there um, and if we're not represented on the screens and in magazines and what it, wherever it might be, wherever we're kind of consuming our media, it's really hard to, to imagine ourselves there. So I think especially for women um, and, and young women, even in leadership, you know, to be able to see, hey, that can be me, that is possible. Um, I think that is so pivotal in, and it's just, it's just I, I think for me personally, I, for, for young women that might have grown up in, you know, less privileged houses and or anything, all of those factors that kind of are barriers that we perceive as barriers for success. And absolutely they are barriers for success. But I think if you if you think to, you know, even the impact that that Steph and I want to leave in the world, because I think I suppose at the end of the day that's what it's all about. It's just that I want young women to not think that they can't do something because of, you know, who they are or, you know, their background, their culture background or their gender or whatever it might be. You know, there's, we're all so unique and that's amazing and it's so important to celebrate that and just remember that, you know, we are capable of so much, um, but we need to see ourselves, you know, and picture it. And there's always the people that are going to break glass ceilings, but, and that's fantastic. And there's so many amazing women, especially in business before us that have done work. So we can, it's easier for us now. 
But I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's good that, um, sorry, that was a very long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> I think we're slowly getting there, but, you know, we, we can always, always do better. What's that you always say, Laws? Don't apologise for taking up space. <laughs> <laughs> I am just blown away by both of you. It's an absolute privilege to get to talk to you both. Congratulations on everything you achieved. Um, congratulations on making a partnership, a business partnership, look effortless. And um, <laughs> and I really look forward to watching where you both go and where the brand goes. It's been great to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We, yeah, we're so, so grateful to be and humbled to be on the podcast. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson. 